Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm Adam McQueen, but today I actually won't be your host as we have a very special episode guest hosted by Cluzone Jacob Geberold. Jacob spoke with Anthony Anarino, the author of the book Eat Their Lunch, which covers all things competitive selling. If you're a product marketer, sales leader, or even a rep in the field, there's definitely going to be some nuggets in this conversation for you. So with that all said, let's pass it over to Jacob. I am very excited for this episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I don't know if you've ever read a book that systematized a challenge that you've consistently come up against and you finally found it and you go, man, I really wish I could talk to the person that wrote this because I've got a ton more that I want to dig into. It feels like you've been walking in the desert for a while on a topic and you finally find some water and you want to talk to the guy that sprung the well. Well, we've got him here on the podcast. If competitive selling is your jam, it's Anthony Anarino, longtime sales leader, entrepreneur, author. He's got three books in the bag and this one, Eat Their Lunch, is entirely dedicated to selling and outselling specifically your competition. Anthony, really excited to have you on the podcast. How's it going? Great. I've been looking forward to this. I mean, this is a, a conversation that you know I care deeply about. And it's one that should happen more often. I don't know why there aren't a billion books out on competitive selling. You'd think that, you know, with the big questions in sales being like, why change? Why you? Why now? You'd figure there'd be a bunch of books dedicated to that second question of, of why you. Uh, but this is the, the most comprehensive and honestly only one that I've really found that dug deep in it. So th thank you for writing it. How's, I guess, been what, three years now since you three, wrote it? Three years, yeah. So what's it, what's the past three years been like, um, on the back end of writing this book? Did you get the sort of, wow, I've been looking for something like this, my whole sales career sort of response that I maybe you probably anticipated, or was it like, oh no, there are other, other resources that really scratched the itch before. There, there's, there's three books and they all have a very different, uh, impact on individuals. So the first book, uh, the misnamed, the only sales guide you'll ever need when you have a three book deal, like, you know, it's not the only sales guide you're ever going to need because we have two more books to write. Um, so, so that happened that book, people generally say something like, I'm not only a better salesperson, I'm a better husband. I'm a better spouse. I'm a better father. I'm just a better all around person for going through that book. And I like that. That's really nice. Uh, the second book, the lost art of closing, I only get one note. I make a lot more money than I used to make. And, uh, and that's always good. And I always feel like for $27, I think I should get like maybe 2% of your commissions or some number like that. Cause one of my clients called me to say, I just bought my wife a beach house. And I'm like, for 27 bucks, that's what my share was. That doesn't seem fair to me at all. <laughs> but by the way, wife, a beach house, like there's a beach house. He had his and hers beach house set. I didn't know that was a thing. Well, yeah. He's he, uh, he did really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the third book, though, Ether Lunch, that one, it always gets this sort of same response. And that is, I thought I was consultative and I thought I understood how I was competing, but now I realize I had no idea. And, uh, and it's kind of shocking to people that there's a structure of value creation that they weren't aware of. And so they didn't know how they were competing or where they were competing. 
And there hasn't been a really good model for stakeholder mapping um, that's based on what level of value you have to create for that person to get their support and to get their help getting support from others. I mean, so that hasn't been done. And then the intangibles I had to just include because so much of it is intangibles. Like they're buying from you and they're not buying from your competitor. Okay, so to make that happen, they have to have a very high preference to buy from you. So how do you create that preference? And uh, there's a lot of ways to get there. And it, it ends up being a complicated mix of different things, including product, including service and experience, including just the tangible business result and, and the strategic. And so in that book, what surprises people out of the beginning, especially C-level executives, C-level executives had no idea that there was a, four different types of conversations going on. And so when they find out about level four, they're like, oh, we have to start every conversation at level four. Right. I agree with you. Like, so all the other stuff doesn't matter nearly as much. Um, incorrect. <laughs> like it all matters. It all matters. So you're trying to build something that allows you to, to put a wedge between your client and your competitors. And that wedge is made up of all of these things. And the more of these things that you can shove into that wedge, the bigger the wedge is. And the more you make it difficult for anybody to compete with you. And uh, one thing I would tell you, I am a competitor. I'm super competitive. I'm very understated because I don't need you to know that I'm competitive until you lose. And then I'm happy that you know that because then you go like, wow, he's really super competitive. In fact, all of my friends like Jeb Blunt and Mike Weinberg and all these guys, like, they're like I had no idea that you were so competitive, but I am. And so I've spent a lot of time and, uh, and Jacob, I'll tell you probably the best thing that ever happened to me is I went into my family's business mm. selling temporary staffing, totally commoditized, like no differentiation, impossible. So then you have to work really, really hard to compete and you have to understand the nature of competition to be able to do that. And there's so much to unpack there, but I feel like a great place to start. Like you've done a really thorough job, I think, building from the ground up in this book. Um, but I feel so much of the misunderstandings people have around competitive selling uh, do as much to hurt them as the things that they should know that they don't know. So, I mean, are there like really common uh, lies around competitive selling that stand out to you that you just want to disavow someone of in order for them to start competitively selling on the right foot? I, I, I mean, the first and the easiest one to identify is that people think they lost because of their competitor's price. I mean, that's, that's the first and the easiest one is to say they under, they underbid me and, and that's why they won the business. No, that's not why they won the business. They believed that that was a better decision than hiring you. That's what they believed. And price was part of it, but there were other factors that were part of it too. Maybe you didn't create enough value. Maybe you didn't explain the differentiation well enough for them to recognize the differentiation or how meaningful it would be to them. So there's a complicated mix of things that cause people to mistakenly believe something that lets them off the hook. Like I didn't lose, my sales manager wouldn't let me give him a big enough discount. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> and you have to take, I mean, in the first book I wrote, sales success is individual. It has nothing to do. And listen, I've got a client who the top 10 people at that client probably make $2 million a year. They have the highest price in the market. The bottom 10 think that they lose because of price and they have the same product. They have the same territories. 
They have the same everything. Everything is the same. And yet some people figure out how to make $2 million with that same product. And somebody else finds a way to make $80,000 with the same thing. I mean, it's a, it's a huge disparity. So it tells you there's something else outside of these things that seem to matter. And so let's maybe start to build from that ground up then. There are three parts. And by the way, we'll link Eat Their Lunch in the show notes. Could not recommend more highly that you pick it up um, if you're listening to this podcast right now. But the book breaks down to three parts, right? Developing relationships and gaining access is the first part. Building consensus is the second part. And then winning with the intangibles is the third. Maybe just briefly, like what's the thesis of that first part of the book, developing relationships and gaining access? Yeah. So the first part of the book is really important. It's very hard for people to execute what we call a competitive displacement, which is basic, basically stealing a customer from your competition. I came out of an industry where that's the only way to win an account. Like there was no green fields. Like it doesn't work that way. And if there was a green field, I wouldn't go there anyway. Like if you're not already buying what I sell, I don't want to even talk to you because I have to take the training wheels off. That's too hard. I don't want to do that. I'd rather get a big company that's already using what I sell strategically. And so that's a better starting point for for this conversation. Um, The beginning is hard for people because you have to first answer the question, why change? And so this is something that's natural to me, but it hasn't been natural to people who have a, a legacy approach to sales. So it was either what we would call legacy laggard which maybe is the same age I am. Like it's, it's over 50 years old. Like it, that approach, it's a difficult approach because it assumes that there's information disparity where there isn't. Like I can go look your company up. I can go look at your solutions. There's an internet now. There wasn't an internet when I was born, but I can get that information. That's not interesting. Uh, there's nothing to it. So, so that's the first thing. And then the solution selling was, we have to position our company as the right company and the solution as the right solution. And that doesn't really allow you to answer the first question about why should I change at all? So in a competitive displacement, you have to start with, there has to be some compelling reason for someone to change. That turns out to be true, even when it's somebody that's buying something and they're reaching out to three or four people to come in and talk to them and look at them the person who can create the greatest value for them in the sales conversation. Okay. So now we're going to have to make us like a a break here in a, in a conversation. So people are going to have to follow us. So I'm going to start with a disclaimer. I'm not going to tell you that your product doesn't matter. I'm not going to tell you that your service doesn't matter. I'm not going to tell you that that combination that makes up the solution that you create for individual clients that's customized to them isn't important. Every bit of that is important. So what I say now is going to give people just a tiny, tiny bit of heartburn. So stay with me because I'll, I'll clean this up for you in a minute. But, but here's the way that it works. As the client, I can't recognize any of the value in your product or any of the value in your solution and your experience and your service and your support or the tangible business result that you produce for me. I can't feel any of it right now. So the only thing that I have to go on is the conversation that we're having together. So if we start the conversation at product, then what we're doing is saying, what I believe I have is a commodity. Now, the last thing on earth I would want you to do as a salesperson or as a product manager, who's actually trying to help enable salespeople and enable their company to compete is to start with the product. 
because if you start with a product, then it immediately causes the person on the other side to say, we already have a product that does that, or we already know what this is. It's a commodity to us. And you allow them to perceive it in a way that you don't want them to perceive it. So one of the tricks that we've learned is that you start with a strategic outcome. So we go to level four. So the four levels, level one is your product. Level two is your service and your experience. Level three is the tangible business result. And level four is the strategic outcome. So we start with the outcome. What's the outcome? Better results in this area, better results in this area. So it's something like that. And it has to be something strategic. So like greater wallet share, you know, uh, much higher profitability, uh, capturing more market share in a new territory, some, whatever it is for them, uh, that's what it is. And we have a guess because we sell what we sell every day. So we start there so that we position every part of the conversation to say everything that we talk about from this point on, once we agree that there's a reason to change to go after these results, all of the other things here are going to support our ability to do that. So this idea, you know, and I've heard people have this idea because when they see it, they're like, we're going to focus on level four. And it's like, right, you are. And level three and level two and level one, because you need all of these things, but it's just the order in which we start the conversation. So the competitive part is I'm going to be more strategic. I'm going to be more of a trusted advisor. I'm going to have more insights. I'm going to teach you more than anybody else is going to teach you because I want mindshare. So in that chapter that's called Capturing Mindshare, literally what I'm trying to do is take this lens that you're looking through and you're looking through the Jacob lens because you have 25 years experience looking through this view and you believe it's true. It's not, it's not true. It's just your view through your experience. I'm looking through a different lens. So what I'm trying to do is remove the client's existing lens and replace it with a lens that allows them to see the value that I'm creating for them particularly. So this is a game that we're playing. I call it mindshare hegemony. Like I, 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 I want total command of the lens. So if you want command of the lens, it's hard to start with product, but it's easy to get to product if you start through the insights and the strategic outcomes that you're trying to enable and go backwards. So for our friends who are product managers and developing these things and trying to enable a sales force to do this, the mistake that you can make is to say what I've heard product people say. Okay, so I'm not accusing anybody listening to this, but I have had them say to me, if they would just explain the product well enough, it would sell itself. And I'm like, mm, a little bit harder than that. Mm. It's not quite that easy. And it's hard for them to make sense of why this is better than that. And the reason is, is that we sell what we sell every day. They buy it occasionally. Mm -hmm. So they don't know how to make a good decision. So when we start talking about product and service and solution, we have to do it through this idea that what we're trying to do is enable a decision. And the enabling the decision allows them to see part of this that they wouldn't see and that they may reject if it looks like a commodity. So I'm going to pause because I just gave you a whole bunch of words. So <laughs> not just words, like a lot of really, really interesting insight. And so when you're thinking about this expertise, and this is one of the things you're talking about when you have that mindshare hegemony, did I get that right? Yeah. Um, you're not just striving for an expertise in product. It's not that you don't want to be an expert in your product. That's table stakes and assumed, and you need to be able to get there yeah. uh, in the conversation. 
but you want to have this sort of strategic expertise that goes beyond the scope of your product. How do you get reps on the ground to develop that sort of strategic expertise, that mindshare gem that you're talking well, about? Well, there's a couple things that you have to do. The first thing is if you're young, um, you, you, I'm going to tell you, I only like somebody just said, like, how do you research for the books that you're going to write? And I'm like, I don't like, I don't write anything that I would have to research. Like if I don't know it, if I've not done it myself, I'm not going to tell you to do it. Like I, that would be false of me, you know, and, and I would never be able to live with myself if I was writing something I don't actually know. So I only write the things that I know when I was exactly your age. So I was 25. So this is like maybe three, four years ago, maybe a little bit longer. I don't know. It's somewhere in that neighborhood. <laughs> uh, I realized that people were having a conversation that I did not have any part of. And so I would be sitting in client um, meetings and there'd be multiple people in the meeting and they would start having a conversation and I was lost in the conversation. And mostly because they had a language I didn't understand. I didn't understand their language. And rather than being um, afraid to demonstrate my ignorance, uh, I decided to be ignorant. And, and I'm going to be ignorant, but not for very long. And what I started to do was start asking questions. I would raise my hand and say, I'm lost. I, I have no idea. So you guys keep using the word throughput. I understand what the concept means, but I have no idea how it applies to your business. What are you talking about? And they would go, look, when, when you buy labor, like we need X number of this, this product to go down this line and end up on a truck. And then we divide that by how much the labor cost us to figure out what our throughput cost was. And I'm like, got it. Okay. And then I didn't really have it. And uh, at the end of that meeting, I went to Dallas Mulder, who was my client. And I said, Dallas, I kind of get this, but I need to actually see how do you do this math? And he goes, well, let me show you. So what did I do immediately after that meeting? I went to another distribution center and I said, you know what? We're helping uh, one of our major clients improve their throughput. And they're like, throughput? You know what throughput is? sit down. Like, hey, this guy knows what throughput is. Like all of a sudden, like he's speaking our language. He must be one of us. I was, I promise you, I was not one of them, but I was doing a pretty good job pretending to be one of them. So you have to ask questions and you have to get an education from your clients and you have to get an education from your peers. So if there's somebody, you know, who's in a, a different chapter in the book than you are, you're on chapter 25. I'm on chapter 53. Uh, one of us has way more experience than the other one <laughs> because I'm on chapter 53. You will get to chapter 53 in about 28 years. <laughs> so I can speed that up for you. So you don't have to wait to get that wisdom. And in, in 28 years, you can have it right now at 25, but you have to start doing the work. And one of the things I would say, especially for anybody who wants to be an expert, like you've, you've got to read um, you got to read widely, number one. Number two, turn off everything on television except for CNBC. Just listen to CNBC, squawk box in the morning, like two or three hours. If you're driving, if you're sitting, if you're, you're on the treadmill, listen to people talk about business. Listen to them talk about investments and money and products and all the things that are going on in the world because you'll get a world-class education for just sitting passively taking in all this information, but you have to understand it's your responsibility. So you go get yourself a really nice notebook and a pen. You go on a call with a rep that's better than you and you write down every question they ask. And then when they're done, 
You say, why did you ask that question and what did you hope that they said? Why did you respond to that way? Why was that the right response in that situation? What if they would have said something else? What would you have answered? And, and so you can get smarter faster, uh, especially from a competitive standpoint. Like you, you got a playbook. Some other people on your team have a playbook that you don't have because the playbook's really up here. It's not written down. You got to get access to those playbooks and start executing those plays because it's the speed. You can become an expert about as fast as you want to, or you can take forever. Um, that, that's a choice. I've, I find this so interesting because, you know, we were, we were chatting before we started recording and um, the, the grit and perspective that you've got to have when you're doing this, when there aren't set systems and technologies in place to help scale that sort of understanding across the business and get yeah. these playbooks out of the minds of the top reps. Like you got to be an individual who's hungry to go get it. Yeah. Um, and then if you're trying to at scale in an organization, create the, the sort of runway that I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are question is how do we take these sorts of disciplines that Anthony's talking about um, and, and really you know, add some kerosene to that fire and, and scale it across the org broadly to capture best insights, um, package them up into ways that people can get access to so that they can increase um, their business acumen um, and particularly within the language of your buyers um, and then be able to scale that across the organization and measure how that's being used. Like that, I, I just, I just, um, I do not take for granted that today I've got the abilities to do things and, and benefit from systems at scale that like uh, for for the large majority of selling history, uh, yeah. you could only get on that one-to-one -one basis as just an individual who figured out the process. Uh, uh, I figured out a lot of this myself. I mean, there, yeah. there wasn't the, you know, the Ether Lunch, I think it's the first competitive displacement book. I've never found another one. Yeah. Ditto. You know, why, why did that happen in 2018? That seems like we've been doing this for a very long time. We should have a better playbook uh, than, than just winging it. <laughs> and I, th I think you're right. You, you can do this. And some of it is, you know, a lot of people do individual coaching. I'm a bigger fan of, of group coaching, let a group of people sit and then have somebody explain, how did you execute that conversation when it was competitive like this? And why did they buy from you? And then, and, and let that person go back over what they did and why they did it and let other people hear it. So I'm not a fan of individual coaching because it's like, I'm going to talk to Jacob, but no, nobody else gets this piece of knowledge. Like you need to get that moving. And so group coaching, where you talk about these things and say, what was this approach? Why did it work in this one? Why didn't it work in this other one? Well, this, this facts, the facts were different. So I'm in a different scenario. And in this case, it didn't work. And so you start to get smarter, faster. That yeah. is the real ramp for people. So yeah. people are like, well, how do you ramp up a, a, a rep? get, get smart. You got to get smart. And we know a lot of things, but we don't share a lot of things. And we have a lot of it done by enablement and it's doesn't have enough inclusion of the people that spend the most time with clients. Mm -hmm. uh, you are singing directly to my heart, Anthony. I want to make sure that there there's, we're not going to get to every nugget and eat their lunch. Again, cannot recommend more highly that people snatch it for themselves, but I do want to, I do want to try and drill in a couple more pieces. Um, building let, me, consensus. let me have just like one piece before we get there. So let me, yeah do this to maybe start this conversation. If you're a product manager and you're trying to enable this kind of an approach, um, the first thing that I would tell you is that you have to enable the strategic part first. So what you do is you take the product and say, the reason we differentiated this approach from that approach is because it allows us to deliver a better experience for the client 
and it enables that strategic outcome that they want. So that is the most important thing. The feature doesn't matter. The benefit doesn't matter. The advantage doesn't matter until you translate it into the business outcome. And then when you translate it into the business outcome, then I work backwards to say the reason that we invest more in this part of this product or this solution is because it's what enables us to create faster results, better results, longer lasting results, and this strategic outcome. Now I have a reason to care about that product. So now I have a reason to care about the product. Otherwise, you're trying to sell me a box. Okay, well, people have sold me boxes before. And the box did not do anything for me because we didn't use the box right. We didn't buy the right box in the first place. We probably paid too much for the box. I want to get rid of all that. So what you do is you enable to say there are features and benefits that matter dramatically to the result. Okay, good. I'm, 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 I'm tracking with you 100%. Now translate them for me into the strategic outcomes and why we made these decisions. And so what I'm describing here, Jacob, is something that I think I said it on the 30 minutes to, um, I think I talked about triangulation strategy. Mm -hmm. So in, in 1992, uh, the year you were born. <laughs> a few um, years off, yeah, but I close, got you. Right, right, right about then. So uh, yeah, a few years uh, around that time. So yeah. uh, Bill Clinton was running for president and he hired a guy named Dick Morris. And Dick Morris, I think, is actually a conservative, but he was a campaign guy, and he got hooked up with Bill Clinton. And uh, this is long before your time. But what, what Dick Morris taught Bill Clinton was that you don't want to be a Democrat, and you don't want to be a Republican. You, you want to say both of those groups are wrong. Like, one of them is half right, the other one's half right. And you're going to go up above the playing field and look down on the playing field and start describing what's true, what's good, what's right, what's wrong, and what must be avoided, regardless of which side it is. And so what that allowed Clinton to do was to occupy this higher plane. So he's got a higher moral plane. He's got the moral high ground. And he was able to capture suburban women who would have been conservative voters otherwise, but Bill Clinton was above all of that. And so what you're doing in a competitive displacement in part is you're explaining, we make a bigger investment in this part of the product because, because it allows us to get this strategic outcome. Now, other people underinvest in this and they invest in something different because they think it's the right way to do this. But in your scenario, this is better than that because, because you need this to be able to do this. And so you have to start triangulating and saying, I'm going to go above and be a neutral party, even though I'm not neutral. I'm the moral authority on this because I'm now sitting on the same side as the table with you pointing at everybody saying, this is right in this scenario. And this is better in that scenario. In this scenario, this is the right thing. And so you're literally enabling the decision and the understanding of how to weigh the factors. Now, the person that teaches somebody how to weigh the factors is a different person that's telling you my features and benefits are better than theirs. Okay, why? And in what case is yours not the right answer? Ask a salesperson to say, when is your solution the wrong solution? Never, it's always the right solution because that's what I sell is the solution. But if you're honest enough to say, they make a, more, a, a better investment in this particular area. And if you were trying to do that, I would tell you that they might be a better option for you, but because 
Yeah. So this is it. So you have a different kind of game being played. Now, because I said that, if you can enable that, I can talk about stakeholders. So I'm sorry, you're not getting a word in edgewise. You're just nodding and they can't see that, but. Um, well, I, I'm having a great time. I'm, 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 I'm sitting at a banquet table and you keep putting food on my plate, man. So keep, keep riffing. <laughs> All right. You're going to be fat at the end of this. Um, the, the thing that you have to think about from the product perspective, and this is critically important in a world where people are only buying when they can get consensus. So people are like, go to the top, start at the C level. Maybe, maybe not. Like that person who has to use what you sell cares very deeply about that product. They care very deeply about the features and the benefits and how good that is for them in their work life. So the experience, so level one and level two, like if you show up and you're like, we're super strategic, but our product's terrible. You guys are just going to have to live with it. That group's like, I'm out. I'll keep what we have right now. Like I know how to get around the problems with this thing. So all the SaaS guys who are like, well, why doesn't anybody want a demo? Some people want a demo. The people who have to use it want a demo. The CEO doesn't want a demo. They're like, no executive leader gets on right. They don't need to see the demo. They need to know the strategic outcome. Then if their people say, we think this is going to help us, we think it's going to improve our efficiency. We think it's going to get rid of all these problems. You can bubble that up. In fact, in temporary staffing, I figured out very quickly, go to the people that have the pain and talk to them about what would you like to have better and then go talk to the boss and say, you know what your people are struggling with? You had a very different conversation. So if you're thinking about product and you're thinking about how do we enable this conversation, you have to recognize that level one means that the end users need this to work for them. Level two means that the ancillary people, so IT, if they have to touch this thing, if accounting has to touch it, they need you to be easy to do business with. Managers and supervisors need you to be able to do your job. And then executive leadership and managers need you to help them with the strategic outcomes that they're trying to do. So you got to start matching these conversations and saying, when you talk about the product to the end user, for God's sake, show them the features and benefits because they want to see that. Like they need to see it. And you're right when you say that. When you get to the managers, you say, let me show you the result that this is producing for you because that's what they need to see. And then when you get to the C-level executives and decision makers, you have to tell them this is how it's going to enable the three goals that you have in your annual report. And that is capturing greater market share increasing your profitability and lowering your cost structure and making sure it's sustainable. Like that, that's, that's how you do this. And this is a, a, a level above what most people do. I mean, so and most people are like, I'm going to teach them how to talk about the product. Okay, good, but not adequate. Do you have any recommendations on how you help at, say at that individual contributor level, who's engaged with the software, like you're talking about, um, do you have any recommendations about how to help them level up their thinking uh, the common use case here being maybe you're, um, selling against an incumbent who's done a really good job of cementing one of these levels, but maybe typically yeah. the person who's, uh, you know, using it at the individual contributor level, like any ways to recommend, like shifting the playing field there or up upping what they care about, uh, in terms of the value to the organization as a whole. Well, that, that's a harder, it's a harder thing to do, but you're, you're directionally on the right path. So the right path is 
if the end users are already solid and listen, most of my life, everybody I've ever come in contact was opposed to change like that, that, that was just the normal case. Want to swap out your staffing firm for another one? Too much risk. We don't know you. You're going to make it worse for us. Okay. So that was just always it. So we had to find somebody who wanted something in, in, the, in the book. I call that person, the CEO of the problem. Somebody has something that they need and want to be different. You have to find that person. So for me, this idea of come in at the top, maybe, uh, I always tried to find my way in right about middle ground. Then I can go up or down if I have to. I still like that approach the best. And now you're going horizontal too. So you have to find someone that cares about this. And if, if you know that you're going to give them better economics, you might start with a CFO and just say, you know what, we have such an ability to get you such a greater return on what you're spending. You know, you could go to that person, but you have to have some theory as to where that conversation needs to start. If you're trying to make them see a bigger vision, um, then you, you have to start very, very strongly with what's in it for them. Like, if it's already good for me, how are you going to make it better? And if you can't make that case, and I would tell you, I would go broad on that too. Like, I would try to get multiple people to have an engagement with me so I could find one who goes, that's pretty cool. We should look at this. And, and listen, the end users do care about product. And, and there's a lot of research that um, your brain lights up with dopamine whenever you see novelty. Like if it's new and you haven't seen it before, your brain's like, awesome, something I've never seen before. This is, this is novel. It's cool. I get to see something I've not seen. So you can come in and if you've got something that's a showstopper and novelty, like put that at the very front and say, we found a better way to do X. Let me show you this. And sometimes that's enough. Like this thing right here, the most destructive device on earth, like uh, it, it destroyed industries. Like the, there's pointing, no- Pointing to his phone, by the way. What's that? For the podcast listeners, he's holding up his phone right yeah, now. Yeah, this is the iPhone 12 Pro. But the number one that came out in 2007 was a game changer. I mean, it wiped out the rest of the market. So this- this thing was so novel. People were like, I have to have that. I have to get one of these things. And people literally waited in line to buy a phone. Like, it, that, that was incredible. So if you've got something like that and it's a showstopper, start there, um, especially while you've got a hot hand because these things get replicated very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to stakeholders, you want to look at a couple of things. Who's going to be compelled to change? Who's going to think that what you're doing creates the right level of value for them? So if you think it's all strategic value, good luck. Like executives care about that. The rest of the organization cares about other things. You have to enable those conversations. That's the most important thing. And I'm going back to my premise at the beginning. All you have is the sales conversation. So they can't experience your product. They can see it. They can do a demo, but they can't experience what it's going to be like to work with that. And they also can't experience the value that your company puts into service and support because they don't need service and support right now. So you have to do all of this within the conversation, which means that triangulation strategy and that conversation about you should weigh this factor different than this factor. And here's why mm -hmm. that's the part where you can do tremendous good work de developing a competitive approach that allows you to beat your competitors. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I feel like I could keep you here all day asking you questions. I do know that, you know, we're, we're coming up uh, at even maybe past time. So <laughs> appreciate your grace there. Um, can I, can I ask um, on the note of winning with the intangibles? Cause I know that 
in the buying process. Um, this is, you know, people will say, oh, I don't know if I ever bought from someone because I liked them more or something like that. So many of these pieces in the intangibles, though, I think are things people don't even know that they end up intuitively coming to value and associate with the product in terms yeah. of buying experience. Um, do you want to maybe speak on um, how competitive enablement teams can help their reps to win with the intangibles a bit better? Or is that entirely domain of sales leadership and there's not really anything anyone outside of that? No, I, I think there's a lot There's a lot to be said there. So let me just take a, a quick run of what you said. Um, sure. I know that if you were to listen to my friend, Jim Keenan, who, who did this on LinkedIn just today or yesterday, and he said, you need to stop um, trying to be liked and, and to be whatever he said, I forget at, at the end of that. And he's, he's mostly wrong, uh, but what he says has a piece of the truth in it. So what he says is you don't need to be liked. Okay. Uh, he's right. Be, the, the need to be liked will make you conflict averse. It will make you servile. You will not be a trusted advisor. You will not be leading the client. So he's hundred percent right, but it is good to be likable. It's very good to be known and it's very good to be trusted but it's also critical that you create value for your client. So the person who can help them have the best conversation about a number of things, how do I understand the world that I'm living in right now? So these are things we have not enabled. We've not enabled these things. How do I make sense of this world? I don't understand that it's complex. It's disruptive. It's constant accelerating change. Like, how do I figure this out? So the person who can share that view with you to say, this is what the world looks like. And I'm going to give you the insights so you understand how you're making this decision. And then the person that can tell you how to make that decision and say, to make that decision, you're going to need consensus from your team. We're going to need to have these five conversations to be able to do this and to build something that's going to work for you. And then you need to help them actually make the decision and say, what's most important to you? So you ask them values-based questions, like what's a, what do you value the most in this? And then you can start tying that to the product. And so you, you get there the other direction. The thing that I would tell you that people mistake from my work is they think that I only care about level four. And the, and the first thing is, is like, no, I don't. I care deeply about the concept, but I'm still, all I'm doing is starting you at the other end and go back this way mm. instead of going this way. That's all I'm doing. I'm just turning the direction around. That's it. So if going you strategy want to, to impacts to solution to product rather yeah, than product yeah. solution to yeah okay got yeah it. all I'm doing is turning it around so this this is not really that novel I'm just saying it's easier to go the other way and it's if it's easier to go the other way and it positions you better it positions you get better against the people who don't know to go the other way and they start with product and they're like why does everybody treat me like a commodity why do you treat your product like it's a commodity? Like you did that. They didn't do that. You gave them the perception. So you have to fix the perception that you give them and don't blame the product for being a commodity. The product has plenty of differentiation and somebody spent a lot of time making sure that was true. Now we need to make sure that you don't give people the wrong impression about what we sell. Yeah. So much uh, value here, Anthony, as I know you know you bring. Uh, by the way, I hope we can have you on another time. I'm sure there's going to be tons of questions that come out of this. I don't know if you've ever be down to come back on and, and chat Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Love uh, to. 
but what are some ways that people can engage with you? I will, for maybe the 15th time on this podcast, say, get the book, eat their lunch. <laughs> Beyond <laughs> that, though, what are some other ways that people can engage with you or, or connect with you somehow? So I've, I've only written three books, and uh, three books is a, about maybe a quarter of a million words. And I write a quarter of a million words every 250 days. So I've written about 5,000 blog posts at thesalesblog.com. And uh, there's all kinds of thinking behind this that you can actually track that for a very, very long time. I started writing in uh, 2009 and I've written every day, minus 13 days when I was in Tibet. Other than that, I've written every single day. And uh, also LinkedIn's a great place. I like LinkedIn a lot, even though it's a little spammy. (laughs) <laughs> well, it uh, gets less spammy when you're following the right people. Um, so uh, thanks for being one of those uh, helpful people out there. Um, definitely go ahead, pick up the book, connect with them on LinkedIn and every other way you can. But uh, Anthony, thanks for coming on the show and looking forward to next time. Thank you.